Here's something new and exciting. Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World is now on social media with uplifting slash mind-bending updates throughout the week. So please follow me on Facebook at David Sachs Spiritual Tools or on Instagram, David Sachs Spiritual Tools. Hi, this is David Sachs and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. Okay, I'm glad you're here. <clears throat> we have um, we have a big big topic uh, for today, which is the whole the whole notion of of exile, the whole notion of darkness, and 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 light in the exile. So, how do we how do we try to understand all this stuff? So, so there's a an important teaching, which is that uh, Abraham instituted the the prayer of of Shachris, and and that's the that's the morning prayer. So, so there's darkness, and then there's and then there's light, and and that kind of symbolizes um, who who Abraham, who Abraham was, because he sort of like restored the, the, the light to the world. Remember, it was known from, from the beginning of creation, from Adam and Chava, Adam and Eve, that there was one God in the world. But, but slowly over the generations, that got covered over by, by idol worship. Um, and, and Avraham was really the one not to create monotheism, but to sort of like reintroduce it into the world. That's... I, to me, that's a that's a that's a meaningful idea because it's not like no one ever knew before him. They they did know, but it got again covered over with idol worship. So so Abraham is is that one, and and you know just not to understate the greatness of of Abraham, he he no one told him that there was one God. So he, it's something that he actually figured out. So that that's enormous. But but all this correlates with. With chakras, with the morning prayer, right? The sun is coming up, the the light is coming out, and if you think about it, um, there are three meals that we have for Shabbos. the The Friday night dinner correlates with Avraham, and and so in a way, that's kind of like chakras. That's kind of like the morning prayer. In other words, you have all week. It's sort of like the darkness of the week, and then the light of Shabbos is emerging out of the darkness. Right, so that's that's Friday night. That's Avraham. Yitzchak did the mincha prayer, the afternoon prayer, and um, you know you have to be strong. Yitzchak is all about gvura. It's all about that that inner strength, um, remaining who you are even in the face of opposition, and and that's that's mincha because because you can be in the middle of your work day. And you've got meetings, and you've got phone calls, and you've got deadlines, and you've got places to go. And then all of a sudden you go, ah, it's mincha. <laughs> so <laughs> the ability to kind of stop everything and just go back to your purpose, even when it's sort of like um, overwhelming you, that, that takes a lot of strength. So, so, so that's, that's Yitzchak. And they say that the, the time when it's um, most auspicious, in other words, most favorable to get a prayer answered is actually mincha time, interestingly. But if you think about it, 
That makes sense because it, it's, it's probably the hardest prayer to daven is, is mincha. Because again, you're in the middle of this sea of competing demands, but you, you stand strong. Okay. So with that as a introduction, we have Yaakov. And Yaakov introduces the Mariv prayer, the nighttime prayer. And that's a whole another realm in itself. You know, because when the darkness comes, it's so easy to lose yourself. And, you know, one of the, one of the points I've really been trying to get across, I actually mentioned it on this talk that I just gave to um, China, and we're going to post that. Um, and and I, I, I hope anyone who's interested will, will try to listen, because um, I, I think it was a special talk. Um, so, so one of the points that I made to them is that I think most people think that the world begins with darkness, that the foundation of the world is darkness. And then God said, Vayahi or, let there be light. So in other words, everything is really at its core is darkness. And then, and then the light begins to shine a little bit. But it's not true. It's not true. This is what people think, but it's not true. Because before the world was created, there was God. All that existed was God. And one of the names of God is Or Ein Sof, light without end. Which means before the world was created, all there was was light. And that's the foundation of the world. Light is the foundation of the world. But, you know, in this world, in the world that God made, and in the world that we inhabit, you know, it's there's a lot of darkness. And part of the way that we go about rectifying that darkness is to tie heaven and earth together. See, that's really the project of this world, is that, is that fusion between heaven and earth. And it's, you know, however you want to say it. See, they're bringing heaven down to earth, right? The way the Torah describes the epicness of Mount Sinai, like heaven descended to earth, and it becomes fused together with the, with the mitzvot. That's one way of looking at it. Another way of it is just that, you know, when you do mitzvahs, when you do love, when you do kindness, you give this world wings and you elevate this world up to heaven. But either way, the, the idea is this fusion of heaven and earth. And, but what we have to understand, though, is that infused in this world from the very beginning was heaven. And I want to tell you what I think is a game-changing bit of information that I've never shared with you before. Um, and I just ask you really to hold on to this, because this can change the way you look at a lot of things. You see, most people intuitively think that, well, where's God's primary residence, right? Well, heaven. And, and earth? Well, he's here, but... Not as much as he's in heaven. Okay, this is what I think virtually everyone thinks. But what if I were to tell you that in the Garden of Eden, when God first made the world, 
that God's primary residence was here on earth. And that after, after the whole eating of the eight sadast from the tree of knowledge, God, so to speak, moved his primary residence, the primary dwelling place of the Shekhinah, to heaven. To me, this is like, this is like a thunderbolt. God's initial primary location was here with us on earth. This, this is what the Torah says. That's big. It's really, really big. Now, I want to clarify this point because I think a lot of people are very confused about this point. Which is that you have to understand that God is as present here in this realm that we're in right now, this dimension, let's call it Olamasiya, which means that's the Kabbalistic name of this dimension that we live in, which is called the world of action. God is as present in this dimension as he is in the highest spheres of heaven. It's just he's more concealed. Do you understand? that? And do you understand how there's no contradiction between God being extremely present and simultaneously very concealed? There's no problem with that. So, but in terms of God's primary headquarters, if you will, that used to be here. That used to be here. And that was the original plan. So since we're talking about Kabbalistic realms, I have to tell you a, a story that I, I just uh, heard that I that I love. This is about the, the Sanzer Rebbe and his son, the Shinover Rebbe. The Shinover Rebbe was also a very great tzaddik. And apparently, I didn't know this, but they, they didn't agree on a lot of things. They were very close, but they kind of saw the world somewhat differently. So Shalashudas, the third meal of Shabbos, where, where the, the holiness of Shabbos reaches its apex, um, the, the Sanzer Rebbe was known to like just go into like a, a, just a very high level of dveikaskite, of just a high level soul attachment to God. And he would say the most awesome teachings, right? And um, it happened to be this one Shabbos that it was the third meal and, and, and the Sanzer Rebbe was going to this, you know, exalted, exalted place. And he started coughing a lot. And his son, the Shinover Rebbe, came over with a, a glass of tea for him. And the Sanzer Rebbe said to him, in Atsilis, that's the name of this highest realm of heaven. He says, in Atsilis, they don't drink tea. And his son said back to him, in Atsilis, they also don't cough. So, <laughs> so he, he accepted that and he drank the tea. Um, but anyway, the idea is we're talking about darkness. We're talking about light. We're talking about that the beginning of this world is not in darkness, but the beginning of this world begins with light, actually. And that even after this world was created, amidst the concealment, there was also a great light because this was originally Hashem's primary dwelling place, the primary dwelling place of the Shekhinah. 
Okay. So, but let's go deeper. Let's go even further. We have to understand that (coughs) from the very beginning of creation, the perfection of the world was implanted into the world from the very beginning of the world. In other words, the destiny, the destiny of the world, that it should reach this, this, the Zman Hatikun, this, this time of perfection, was already implanted in the world from the very, very beginning. And what I'd like to compare that to is, imagine this visual where, you know, like in the movies where you have like this like great chasm between, you know, you know, two mountains. So you, you, you reach the, the edge of the cliff and then there's like this endless drop. It just goes and goes and goes and goes. And then sometimes you have those little rickety rope bridges that connect one side of the cliff face to the other. So... Imagine a scenery like that. And imagine you're standing on one side, and on the other side, there's this beautiful palace. Okay, it's already been built, this amazing, amazing palace. And so your job is not to build the palace. The palace has already been built. Your job is just to get to the other side. Now, how are you going to cross this chasm so that's, that's a way of looking at the history of the world. It's a way of looking at our job. That palace represents the perfection of the world that already exists. Remember, we say that the, the third, the third base Hamigdash, right? The third holy temple, it already exists in heaven, right? It just, it just has to come down. And they say that, you know, one of the gifts that God gave us was this gift of forgetting, which sounds kind of strange, right? Because usually forgetting is a negative thing. Ah, I forgot, right? But forgetting is also a tremendously healing thing because, because someone can forget the pain that they went through. They can forget a sorrow. And this, this is a great gift from God, forgetting. Um, and they say that after 12 months after a loved one passes, this gift of forgetting sort of comes into a person. And a person is able to, to forget about the pain a little bit. It doesn't mean that they forget about their loved one. But somehow there's this healing that takes place. Now I have to tell you something like awesome from the Kutzka Rebbe, you know. He says, God gave us the ability to forget so that we would forget about the world. And we use it to forget about God. Right? Awesome, awesome Torah. But anyway, how is it that we've never forgotten about the Beis HaMikdash? Why hasn't that tragedy sort of like been forgotten by us? Why hasn't that healing taken place? And the answer is, is because the Beis HaMikdash, the third Beis HaMikdash, still exists. It's not dead. It's there. It hasn't gone away. See, this is the secret of why Yaakov Avinu never stopped mourning Yosef. 
Why didn't the forgetfulness kick in for Yosef, for, for, for Yaakov? Why didn't he forget about Yosef? He was long dead, except he wasn't dead, except he was alive, which means that brocha couldn't kick in because he was alive. Just like the third base of Migdash, the third holy temple is alive. That's why we can't forget about it, because it's there. And so now let's return back to that imagery. You're standing on the cliff face, and on the other side of this chasm is this awesome palace. It's already been built. The perfection of the world already exists in the world itself. But we have to get there. Now, how we picture this palace, we can picture it in different paradigms, right? Different different ways. I just gave you a version of it where it stands for the third base Hamigdash, which of course is synonymous with 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 the perfection of the world, right? But let me give you another bit of imagery for it, okay? That that that, that palace is a tremendous light. That that palace is actually the what we call the Or Haganus, this great initial light of creation that God stored away for the end of days that's going to be restored to us. That palace is that great light, greater than the sun, greater than multiple times the sun. So right now, in the heart of darkness, the darkest time of the year, which is where we're at right now, comes Hanukkah. Comes this miraculous night lighting up the darkness. So the way we say Light in Hebrew is or. And everybody knows the 25th day of Kislev is Hanukkah. Now, isn't it interesting, since that's the holiday of light, right? Of the holiday of the restoration of the light, right? Isn't it interesting that the word or is the 25th day of Kislev, and it's also the 25th word of the Torah? Breshis is the first word of the Torah. Count from Breshis. Breshis is one. Bara is two. Keep counting. And you'll see number 25 is the first appearance of the word or, light, in the Torah. And now let's deepen it. Let's deepen it. Okay? Let me tell you something that the Zohar says. If you count the letters of Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. That's our declaration that God is one, that the whole world exists within the oneness of God, that all there is is God. If you count up the number of letters in the Shema, it adds up to 25. So the Zohar says, starting with the first day of Kislev, Count 25 letters, count 25 days, and you complete the Shema on the 25th day of Kislev, on Hanukkah. But then, remember, we have to build a bridge to the palace, right? We're back to our mountain imagery. We have to make that road leading there. So says the Zohar, 
What about Baruch Shem Kavod Machus Olam Vaed? Right? Because right after Shema, we say Baruch Shem Kavod Machus Olam Vaed. Great is God in this realm. Malchu, Malchu. This is the realm of Malchus, right? We we called it Olam Asiya, the 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 world of action. That's this world, right? But we've got another name for it, Malchus. And, and we, we declare that God is great in this realm. Baruch Shem Kavod Malchuso Le'olambed. Forever. So how many letters are in that? So the Zohar says, if you count and you can count yourself, 24 letters. <laughs> so those are the 20, first, four, 20 day, first 24 days of Kislev. So let's review. Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad takes you from the first day of Kislev to the 25th day of Kislev, to the great light, to Hanukkah. Baruch Shem Kovod Va'ed. Those are 24 letters. That's the road to the light. That's the road to the light. Okay, we have to build a bridge to get to that palace. What's the road to the palace? Well, if the palace is the 25th, it's, if it's the light, if it's the Shema, if it's the oneness of God, then the road to the light is Baruch Shem Kavod magnifying God's name in this world, revealing God's oneness in this world. Now, I told you, Yaakov Avinu is giving us the Mar of Prayer. The mar of prayer is the light in the darkness, revealing that the darkness is a creation covering the light that's there. See, it's very important to understand that the light came first, because otherwise you think that light is a creation. (laughs) Really, it's all darkness. Then God has to create light. But that's not what the Torah says. Darkness is a creation. Darkness had to be created to cover over the light. Otherwise, there would be no free choice. There would be no us. There would be no universe. We have to filter the light. But we don't want to close off the light. We have to filter the light. That's our opportunity to exist to say, you know what? It's all light. (laughs) So, Yaakov Avinu, is stepping into the darkness, stepping into the exile, and he's lighting the light that's vanquishing the darkness. So, so he's running for his life. At the beginning of this Parsha, he's escaping Esav, who wants to kill him who's pledged to kill him. And Yaakov is entering on a journey where he's going to be away from the land of Israel for over 20 years. And he's never going to see his father and he's never going to see his mother again. And then he's going to have all of his possessions stolen from him so that he's literally left with nothing. And where does he go? How do you how do you recover from that? So he goes to the yeshiva of shame and ever 
for 14 years. And it says for 14 years he didn't sleep in a bed. He may have slept in his chair. He may have laid down on the ground. But for 14 years, he didn't sleep in a bed. He was just learning Torah. Now I heard from Reb Shlomo something for me, this is awesome, 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 awesome. What did he learn at that yeshiva? Well, we remember, remember, Shem was one of the, was one of the children of Noach. And what he learned at that yeshiva is how do you continue to go on after the entire world has fallen apart? You see, shame and and then he has ever they they survived the great flood that destroyed the world. And Yaakov was able to learn there how do you go on after your entire world has fallen apart? How do you get the strength to continue? And this is what he learned. And you know who Jacob, who Yaakov's greatest student was? It was Yosef. And they had private learning sessions. And Yaakov gave over everything to Yosef, his greatest student. And do you know what one of the things that Yaakov gave over to Yosef was? How do you go on after the entire world falls apart? And so Yosef learned the secret from Yaakov. And Yosef was able to go on and to survive after he was exiled from his family into the depths of Egypt. And I tell you that they put that into all of us. Because how is it possible that the Jewish people can have gone on as long as we've gone on and continued as long as we've continued unless that teaching was also passed on to us. And it doesn't mean that you know the secret with your mind because it's in your bones. It's literally in your bones. So it says that Yaakov stops at this certain place and he doesn't know why he's stopping there. He's on his way to Lovins, right? He's going to get married and have the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, That's the next chapter of his life that's awaiting him. But right now he's just running for his life. And it says that basically he hits a wall. And, you know, there are all these, metaphorically, he hits a wall, but it stops him and he stops there. He doesn't know why he's stopping in this particular place. It turns out this place is the place of the Beis HaMikdash, right? This is the portal between heaven and earth. This is where he's going to have the dream of the ladder, right? Which is another bit of imagery connecting heaven and earth together. And 
What lesson does he give over to us as to how to survive in the darkness, how to survive in the exile? Well, he takes all of these stones that are there, so to speak, metaphorically speaking, the the, the stones that happen from him hitting the wall, right? But anyway, he takes actual stones that are there all around him. And in the morning, it says he takes 12 stones, 12 stones. And in the morning, the Torah says, and then he took the stone. And the rabbis understand that a great miracle took place. That what happened was all of these 12 stones fused together and became one large stone. And that one large stone becomes the foundation stone for the Holy Temple. And it becomes an altar that he gives an offering to God on. So, so now let's, let's, let's think about this for a moment. And I'll tell you a, an amazing teacher from teaching from Rav Frummer, the Rosh Yeshiva of Hachmei Lublin, right? This was the greatest yeshiva in the world in pre-war Europe. So, so what Yaakov Avinu is teaching us is how to take this wall, these stones, which are an obstacle, and turn obstacles into ways to serve God, because he turns the stones into an altar. Do you understand? (laughs) These stones which were stopping him, this wall which was stopping him, he transforms into an altar. He says, you want to survive in the exile? Take all the obstacles opposing you and turn them into ways to serve God. But I have to tell you something from the Megalia Mukos, right? I was, you know, if you, he's buried like just, just uh, in the same cemetery, just a, a short distance from the Ramah in Krakow. And the Megalia Mukos was one of our greatest, greatest, greatest Kabbalists, like beyond, 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 Okay. So listen to what he says about the 12 stones. And I was privileged to, to, visit his, to visit his grave and to say over this Torah of his, by his grave, like, and it was dark at night. It was really, it was really something. It was winter. It was really something. Anyway, he says the following. These 12 stones that Yaakov Vinu took, that became one stone, And now I want you to have in mind that imagery that we've been working on, that big chasm between the two mountains, right? And there's the light on the other side. The palace or the light is on the other side, the perfection that exists in this world. And we're on the other side, right? That's that's the 25, that's the Shaman. We've got to get to Baruch Shem Kavod. That's the road to getting there, magnifying God's greatness in this world. That's the road to getting there. So what are these 12 stones? So the Megali Amuko says the following. Let's count. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. 
That's, that's six. And now what about the other six stones? Baruch, Shem, Kavod, Machuso, Le'olam, Va'ed. That's the other six stones. Six and six. Six and six. These are the 12 stones. These are the 12 stones that fused into one. This is the place of the base of Migdash, which connects heaven and earth and turns it into one. <laughs> Do you see what it is? Do you see what it is? You know, see, this is the great, this is the great Torah consciousness that all that exists is God. All that exists is God. That's the only thing that exists. That's Shema. But then, you know, I was, you know, I started, this is what I'm telling you right now. This is how I began my talk to the people in China. I don't know how or why I began with this. It's crazy, but I did. I told them, all that exists is God. That's how I began. But there's that great story in Holy Brother. And if any of you don't have a copy of Holy Brother, yeah, go online and, and buy it. They're, they're amazing stories of people's interactions with, uh, Reb, Shlomo, with Reb Shlomo Karlbach. Unbelievable. Little short stories. Amazing, amazing. Amazing. One of the greatest Torah English books, period, in my opinion. So one of the stories goes like this. A father is driving, and, and I, met, I met this man, by the way. A father is driving, and he's got his little boy in the back seat, and his little boy asks his father, is this world real, or is it just a dream? Can you imagine a little boy asking a question like that? Is this world real, or is it just a dream? And his father says, that's a really good question. Let's ask Reb Shlomo. So they call up Reb Shlomo, and Reb Shlomo says the following. He says, this world is real in God's dream. Right? So what does that mean? What does that mean? This world is real in God's dream. Because if we understand what that means, we understand this interplay between Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, and Baruch Shem Kavod Machus Oleilam Ve'ed. And how they can be fused together into one stone, right? What does it mean? It means that all that exists is God. But God created this world and he asks us to respect this world. You know, I once heard a story. It breaks my heart to tell it, but I'll tell it anyway. A couple of quote-unquote religious people were driving in the presence of my friend and they crashed into a parked car and then they kept on driving. And you know what they said? They said, ah, materiality. <laughs> like if someone crashes into your car, you can say materiality and go on with your life. But you're not allowed to crash into someone else's car and say materiality. That, that's not the Torah consciousness. The Torah consciousness is that we have to be endlessly respectful of each other and of each other's property. You know, 
Look at the planets. Look at the galaxies. Look at how, even though the gravitational pulls exerted by them are enormous, far greater than the gravitational pull of the Earth, because the Earth, relative to other heavenly bodies, is very, very small. So its gravitational pull is is commensurately small. But when you've got these massive entities in space, their gravitational pull is enormous. And yet, what happens? All the other heavenly spheres just orbit around them with a exquisite choreography, very precise. Everything is perfectly ordered. Do you know what the equivalent of that is in our world? Because each person is a separate world. You know, it says in the Talmud, if you save one life, it's like you save the whole world. Each one of us is a separate world. So each one of us exerts a gravitational force. So how is it that we don't bump into each other and we don't crash into each other? And you know what the answer is? Halacha. Halacha is the path. Halacha is the way. Halacha says, don't damage my property. Speak nicely. That's my wife. That's my husband. That's my money. And when we understand the halacha, we know how to orbit. We know how to orbit around people. We know how to orbit as a community without crashing into each other and causing friction and causing fights and war and hatred and things like that. So if you want to harmonize your life, if you want to harmonize your community, if you want to harmonize your inner life, the way to do that is through halacha. Because halacha means the way. And so, and so all that exists is God. And yet he creates this entity, this sphere, this sphere that we'll call malchus, And by respecting each other, we reveal the oneness amidst the backdrop, which is completely immersive, of the greater oneness. We're a oneness immersed in this this greater oneness. And the more we reveal the oneness in this world, the more the light of the ultimate oneness shines into this world. And that's this, that's this great light. That's this great light that existed before the world was created. And soon this world will shine again with that light. With that light. So, so I want to go deeper. I want to go deeper still. I want to tell you something that Rav Firmer says, which is unbelievable. The zodiac sign, or in Torah we would say the mazel, for this month that we're in in the, Hebrew, in, the, in the Jewish calendar is Kislev. What is the zodiac sign? What is the mazel of Kislev? So in English, we would say Sagittarius. And if you ever see a picture of Sagittarius, 
it always has this bow, right? So it's actually in the Torah understanding of these things, this bow is actually the key sign, and it's called a keshet. That's the, that's the bow. So what does a bow have to do with this time of year, which is filled with darkness? This is what we have to understand. So I'm going to tell you a classic Kutzker Torah, and Rav Frumer is going to give his own, his own spin on this, but be aware that he knew the Torah that I'm about to tell you, since he was, he was also a student of the Kutzker Rebbe, generations later, but also a student, okay? So the Kutzker Rebbe says something really amazing, and it's based on a verse in the Torah, Yaakov Avinu, Jacob is going to talk about later this whole incident that's coming up with Shechem, okay? And there was a whole battle between, between the, the sons of, of, of Jacob, the, 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 the Jewish people, and this, 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 this place called Shechem, because they kidnapped um, Dina, right? Um, one of Jacob's daughters. And, and Yaakov talks about how he took his bow, Right and engaged in battle, but we know from the Torah that that Yaakov actually didn't fight in this battle. So we have to look to Ankelos, and Ankelos tells us that when Yaakov refers to his bow, that actually it means prayer. So from this, we're given a, a foundational um, piece of information that when we think of the bow, and remember that's the mazel, that's the zodiac sign of this time of year. When we think about the bow, we have to understand it as prayer. Okay, so now the Kutzka Rebbe is going to explain to us how it, how it works. All right, now so imagine I have my bow, right? That's my bow. And now you know the farther down you pull, the higher the arrow is going to shoot. That's how it works. So the Kutzker explains that the further down your kavana goes, the deeper that you feel the prayer and the deeper and the stronger that you want to connect, that's like pulling down the bow all the way down, the higher in heaven it goes. That, that's how it works. That's how a bow is like prayer. Now listen to how Rav Frummer adds to that imagery. Amazing, amazing thought. You see, all the Rebbes, all the Rebbes, are teaching us something very essential about how to serve God, which is that you have to serve God in hiddenness. Meaning to say that you don't talk about your mitzvahs, you don't talk about the good things that you're doing. Now, there are exceptions to this rule. There are exceptions to this rule. You can tell your children, you can tell your students, if, if the idea of telling about something that you did, something holy, something special that you did, is for the point of trying to educate and to set another person on the proper path, then you can share it with them. But to talk about it, just to talk about like, oh, let me tell you about my day. And just to talk about something holy that you did? No. That's not, that's not the way it's done. 
These things you keep as secrets between you and God. And, you know, the, the imagery, if you, if you want a, another bit of imagery, the Afstraf Rebbe, right? One of the, our greatest tzaddikim, about a hundred years ago, he fasted for 40 years. He ate a little bit at night. For 40 years he fasted. And this was a hundred years ago. And it's, you know, everyone knew it. This was this modern history. This is not from thousands of years ago. A hundred years ago, he fasted for 40 years. So on the historical record, you can, everybody knew it. So he said the following Torah. That an oven remains hotter when the door to the oven is shut. If you keep the door to the oven open, all the heat goes out of the oven. Okay, so what does that mean? What's the door to the oven? That's your mouth. When the door to the oven remains shut, the heat remains inside the oven. In other words, when you don't talk about something holy and special that you did, the fire remains hot inside of you. Okay. So, again, there will always be exceptions to this rule when it will be beneficial for you to share something with someone that you love. There will be, there will be exceptions to this rule. But understand the general rule. Now that you know the general rule, you yourself will be able to use with your own wisdom when it's appropriate to make an exception. All right, so now that we know that, let's go back to the imagery of the bow and the arrow. And I'm going to tell you what Rob Frimer adds. Listen to this, something so special. Okay, we've got our bow. We're going to pull it down. So remember, let's review what the Kutzker says. Kutzker says that the more kavana you have, the more intention you have, the further down it goes into your guts, the higher it flies in heaven. Now, listen to what Rav Frimer says. He says, the more you pull down the bow, the more you hide what you're doing, the more power the arrow flies with. The more you hide and keep concealed what you're doing, right? The hotter the oven remains, to use the other bit of imagery, the more powerful the arrow flies and the, ho- and the higher the arrow flies. Now, with that, Ralph Frommer is going to say something unbelievable. That in itself is unbelievable. But now listen to this. He says there's secrets all around us. How do you access those secrets? In other words, how do you become a person who knows, like, the the secrets of the Torah? (laughs) Right? So listen to what he says. And I'm putting it into my words. I'm putting it into my words. 
But um, if you look in Parshas Vayetze in Eretzvi, you, you'll find the source for this. But I'm, I'm putting it in my words. So the question again, there's secrets all around us. How do you access those secrets around you? So if you hide your avodas Hashem, if you hide the mitzvahs that you're doing, you know what happens? You ready for this? You become a secret. You become a secret. And once you become a secret, you vibrate on the wavelength of secrets. (laughs) And then you're able to access the secrets around you. Because you're vibrating on the same wavelength as those secret frequencies around you. You know, all the Rebbes are looking at the same verses in the Torah, but some of them are saying unbelievable things. But if you, because you know why? Because they're vibrating on the same wavelength as the secret dimensions of those verses. But now you know how to vibrate on those wavelengths of secrecy by you yourself becoming a secret. So, so how do we survive in exile? How do we survive in the darkness? By turning obstacles into opportunities to serve God. That's what, that's what Rav Frimer says Yaakov Avinu did. By taking the stones and turning them into an altar. And also, to understand that the story of this world is just allowing that light which is already here, which existed before the world is created and continues to shine into this world to make it stronger and stronger by magnifying the name of God and by fusing heaven and earth. By furthering that amazing coexistence, by getting across that, that chasm to the palace, right? And, you know, the war is already won. Now we just have to win it. The war is already won. Now we just have to win it. Okay. Thanks for listening. We do this every week. So join in again next Sunday for our new podcast where we explore the amazingness of life. And review us and send in any comments or suggestions. I'd love to hear them.